0: Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today in freedom, freedom from guilt and freedom from shame and freedom from the fear of death. We come before you, God, in the truth that truly death is dead because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, when we look around us, death appears to be very much alive. We hear every day of earthquakes and other natural disasters. We hear of bombs and bullets claiming the lives of people created in your image. We hear of cycles of violence and vengeance, centuries in the making. We see the pictures and we watch the videos and it looks so terribly often like death is not dead at all. But our Lord Jesus told us to expect this. Your son told us that we would hear of wars and rumors of wars and that nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, that there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, but that in the midst of these things, Heavenly Father, you would still be in control, achieving your purposes even if we don't understand them. But Heavenly Father, it does hurt uh, to not understand. And it hurts to keep seeing and hearing these things, especially when it happens to us or to those close to us. So we ask you, Heavenly Father, please send your son quickly. Jesus, come quickly and accomplish all you promised to do. And teach us how to wait, teach us how to rest, Teach us how to hope and give us faith to persevere, not only to persevere but to shine, for your people to shine and to show in these dark times the love and life of God in Jesus Christ. Please empower us. Please empower especially our brothers and sisters in those places directly impacted by tragedy and violence to those on the front lines. Would you empower us to love others, regardless of what flag they fly or what part of the world they call home? Amen. And ground us and sustain us in the certainty that all your promises are as good as finished because it is you who promised their fulfillment. And as we add to the number of your people by outreach and evangelism and baptism and discipleship, God, would you bind us all together in unity and commitment to each other. Lord, we lift up to you those who will be receiving baptism today. And we lift up to you those who will be hearing the next part of the gospel tonight. And we just ask God that you would create in their hearts such a sense of hope and joy and life in a place where so often death does seem alive in view of your promise that in fact it is not, that you are and that you reign. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: My name is Sean Reese, I'm one of the pastors here, if you don't know me. And today, as Drew said, we enter into the crucifixion text in John. It's a somber text, of course. But as I said last week, any day we spend focusing on Good Friday is time well spent. Because here on Good Friday, we see the immensity of God's love for us. So this morning, before we read our text, I want to prepare us for it. I want us to imagine that we were there. We were there at Calvary on that first Good Friday. We were there at the foot of the cross. And first of all, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of someone standing at the foot of the cross who had never seen or heard of Jesus. What do you see as you're standing there? Well, you probably see a criminal. You probably notice the suffering that's happening. You may see the title above his head, above Jesus' head, and wonder what that means. You probably also notice that there are women at the foot of the cross. That would be quite unusual. Now put yourself in the shoes of someone standing there who had heard bits and pieces of Jesus' teaching, but didn't really understand what it all meant. What do you see now Perhaps you see a failure. Of course you see the suffering. But you probably see a failure. Here's another misguided Messiah, just like all the others. You may even feel a bit of disappointment because you knew some people had put their hopes in him. Maybe you had thought about putting your hope in him. Now put yourself in the shoes of someone who who loved him. What do you see now? You probably see incredible pain. While experiencing your own pain, you see him very vulnerable. Shamefully so. You may feel confused. Maybe even betrayed. Probably you're feeling disbelief. And you may feel a desire to do something. Now I'm going to invite jeremy jones up here to read our text today or to recite our text so that you can see and hear what john wants you to see and hear so jeremy why don't you come up you can follow along the words are not going to be on the screen you can follow along in your worship guide so this is john 19 16 to 42
2: The king of the Jews, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, but his tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fill the scripture which said, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold, your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation and so the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs may be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with them. For these things took place that the scripture may be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus Jesus there. Amen.
1: All right. Thank you, Jeremy. So what did you hear that John wants you to see? I think at the heart of what John sees and wants us to see is Jesus' cry, it is finished. Verse 30. In Greek, it's one word in the, in the perfect tense, meaning it's a completed action that continues on in completion. In other words, it's finished, and it stays finished. It is done, and nothing more needs to be done. So what is finished? You do realize this is not just an interesting theological question either. It's a very practical question. Because we desperately need to have happened what happened at Calvary... And either we believe it has happened, that it is finished, or we will spend the rest of our lives trying to make it happen ourselves. So what is it that is finished? Well, let's set the scene. It's three o'clock on that first Good Friday in the shadow of the Sabbath, when Jesus says it is finished. In three hours, the Sabbath would be welcomed in every Jewish house by reading the seventh um, day of the song of creation, Genesis 2, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So in the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Now fast forward to the gospel of John. In chapter one, John told us that the work of creation was done by Jesus. The word who was with God and who was God. In chapter 5 of John, Jesus said, "'My Father is working until now, and I myself am working.'" In chapter 17, in Jesus' great prayer, only a few hours before uh, the crucifixion, Jesus says, I glorified you, Father, on earth, having finished the work you gave me to do. So in this moment on the cross... Is Jesus, even in his agony, looking back over the work of his ministry and thinking, it is finished? One scholar says it this way what God had begun by the Word, God finished. By the word. What God had begun by the word in the day of creation, God finished by the word in the day of redemption. And then Jesus rested from all his work in the grave. Jesus finished the work his father had given him to do and he rested But what is this work that he finished? Now, I think John and Jesus have been preparing us all along for this moment. And so, what I want to do now is walk through some key texts from this gospel that prepare us for the crucifixion. First, from John's words. In chapter 11, at the meeting of the Sanhedrin to decide the fate of Jesus, Caiaphas stands up and says, it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. John then says that Caiaphas, in saying those words, had prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Prophecy means to speak forth the word of God. And Caiaphas, unaware of what he's saying, prophesies that Jesus' death will affect many people. Another way that John has been preparing us is through his repeated use of the term hour H O U R. The term hour for John points to the great hour of Jesus' glorification, meaning crucifixion. Again and again, John tells us his hour had not yet come, had not yet come, had not yet come. And then on Palm Sunday, the hour has come. And lastly, the night before, in that upper room, John told us twice that Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that his hour had come to depart out of, his, out of this world, and he knew that he had come from God and was going back to God. So we, the readers, know that he is leaving, but as the night continues, an ominous feeling grows. Because John tells us that Satan enters into Judas as Judas leaves the upper room. And so we know that Jesus is departing in some way, but now we get the sense that something very bad is going to happen to make him depart. And Jesus has also been preparing us throughout the gospel with his words. In chapter 2, when he cleanses the temple, he says, Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. John tells us that no one understood this saying until after the resurrection. But clearly, Jesus is speaking of a destructive act. In chapter three, when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Later, Jesus says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. So this lifted up language, which emerges from the Old Testament, implies that Jesus will somehow be lifted up publicly for all to see and in chapter 10 at the feast of dedication jesus says he is the good shepherd he's the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep he says i lay down my life that i may take it up again no one takes it from me I lay it down of my own accord. And I can imagine the disciples not understanding at all what he's saying, right? But it's obvious. He is saying that death is coming in some way. And of course, we've been prepared for what is coming through the most famous verse in John John 3.16. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God gave his Son. What was involved in this giving, the disciples must have asked. Whatever was involved in it, It was driven by love. As Dante said, Good Friday is the key to understanding the love that moves the sun and all the other stars. So Jesus and John have been preparing us for this moment all the way along. For something to happen to Jesus. And they've given us clues as to what it all means. So now that we've set the stage, I think we can gather what John wants us to see at Calvary under two words, innocence and identity innocence and identity John wants us to see that Jesus is not guilty and he wants us to see who Jesus really is and understanding these two things and their implications then help that helps us answer the question of what is finished so first of all innocence Before we even got into our text today, John was very careful to point out Jesus' innocence. Three times in our text last week, Pilate says that he finds no guilt in Jesus. I find no guilt in him, no guilt in him, no guilt in him. This man, who Pilate calls the man, is innocent, And he does not deserve what is happening to him. The implication then is that he is doing what he's doing on behalf of someone else. He is suffering and dying on behalf of other people as Caiaphas prophesied. And now, as we move through our text today, John is very careful to give us several details which point to Jesus' identity. So first of all, the true Son. John highlights for us that Jesus went out bearing his own cross, verse 17. The verb went out is the same word, if you remember, used back in chapter 18 for going forth to fulfill a mission. John is once again reminding us that Jesus is is not a helpless victim. He's on a mission to finish the work the Father has given him. But this text also reminds us of Genesis 22 where Isaac the obedient son goes up the mountain with his father Abraham carrying the wood for the sacrifice. It's interesting that as as that story was passed down through the generations, it became associated with the Passover sacrifice. Isn't that interesting? Now, if you're familiar with that story... As they go up the mountain, Isaac the son asks Abraham, Father, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? To which Abraham responds, God will provide Himself the lamb, my son. God will provide Himself. The Lamb. My son. In that scene, God stops the sacrifice. God stops the action before the sacrifice. In this scene, God doesn't stop the action. The implication is. That Jesus, in his self-giving obedience, reveals himself to be the true son of the Father. Secondly, the true king. Pilate writes, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, above Jesus' head on the cross. Verse 19. Now, we've seen the kingship of Jesus as a key theme throughout John's Passion account. And here, Pilate writes the title in the three main languages of the Mediterranean world, so it could be read by all. The implication is that the universal kingship of Jesus is being announced to the entire world. The invitation for salvation for all the world is right here, and everyone can read it. But another implication of this title is that at this moment, the true king is being lifted up onto his throne. Jesus had also said that when he is lifted up, he would draw all people to himself. He is now lifted up onto his throne, which is why the early church fathers used the phrase, he reigns from the tree. D.A. Carson says this, Jesus is the kingliest king of all. He's the kingliest king of all because he turns an obscene instrument of torture into a throne of glory. He reigns from the tree. Thirdly, the true high priest. We also saw this theme previously. In this text, we get at least one more reference to it. In verse 23, John tells us that the four soldiers around the cross divided his garments and his tunic, which fulfills Psalm 22, a psalm about an innocent sufferer. But John tells us that the tunic is seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Why does he tell us that? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Because John is giving us a hint to the identity of Jesus as the true high priest. For the priestly garments are seamless and woven. In fact, the adjective woven is used only once in the Old Testament, and it's used to refer to the priestly garments, The implication is that the world must now go to Jesus for intercession, reconciliation, cleansing, and forgiveness of sin. Jesus is the true, eternal high priest. Now, if you know the name Dorothy Sayers... Years ago she wrote a play cycle in the life of Christ called The Man Born to Be King. The BBC actually made radio broadcasts of of these plays for the soldiers in World War II. And you can get them now as MP3s. They are so good. In her retelling of the Passion, she includes the scene from Matthew where Judas, remorseful about his betrayal, returns the money to Caiaphas. And Sayers, taking some creative liberty, does, says this, she has an a, a historical Judas saying, To Caiaphas, I wanted to believe him guilty because I could not endure his innocence. He was the Christ of God and I hated him and now I hate myself. And Caiaphas responds, What is that to all of us? Your conscience is your own affair, Judas. Judas replies, What is it to you? You're the high priest, Caiaphas. Day by day, week by week, month by month, you make the sacrifice for sin, the burn offering and the peace offering and the trespass offering. On the Day of Atonement, you enter the holy place and pour out the blood before the mercy seat for the redemption of Israel. What can your priesthood do for me now, Caiaphas, high priest of Israel? It's a powerful scene Sayers has Judas recognize that the Jewish priests can't do anything for him anymore. That he has to go to Jesus now to make things right and to cleanse his sin. Jesus is the true eternal high priest. Fourthly, the true lamb. At the beginning of the gospel, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We also saw an allusion to that last week in our text. In this text, we get two more hints of the Passover Lamb. Passover Ancient Israel was in slavery in Egypt and God tells Moses that the final act of judgment against their oppressors will be the killing of the firstborn in every household. And God instructs Moses to tell the Israelites to kill a lamb and spread the blood on the doorposts of their houses. And God says, when I see that blood, I will pass over you. No destruction will touch you. The blood of the Passover lamb on those doorposts delivered the Israelites from slavery and death. And in verse 29 of our text today, the soldiers raised to Jesus' mouth a sponge of sour wine on a hyssop branch. Once again, incredible detail by John. And why? Well, the hyssop was the plant used at the first Passover to spread the lamb's blood on the doorposts. But also in verse 33, after Jesus dies, the soldiers break the legs of the two criminals. But when they come to Jesus, since he has died, they do not break his legs. That fact is very important It fulfills Exodus 12, a text that provides instructions for preparing the Passover lamb. None of the Passover lamb's bones can be broken. None of Jesus' bones are broken. The implication is, and what John wants us to see, Jesus is the true Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world and lastly the spirit giver the soldiers don't break his legs but they do pierce his side and at once blood and water flow verse 34 why does blood And water flow. Well, I'll leave it to you doctors to explain the biology behind it. But John wants us to see something else with these words. First of all, John wants us to see the cleansing power of Jesus' blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood flows. As the rest of the New Testament says, we are cleansed by his blood. We have redemption and forgiveness through his blood. Peace and reconciliation come through his blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. <clears throat> but the water also flows. Why does John want, to see, want us to see the water flowing well back in chapter 7 jesus said these words he said if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water and john adds a theological comment about those words now this jesus said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. In John's Gospel, water refers to the Holy Spirit, the very life of the living God. And John wants us to see that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is pierced so that the Spirit of grace can now come. The Spirit can now be given. And it's all according to Scripture. So let me summarize. John has told us many things to help us understand what is finished, he wants us to see that Jesus is innocent. And he wants us to see who Jesus really is. He's, can you go back a slide? He's all of those things. John wants us to see that he is all of those things on that slide. So in light of all of those details, what is it that is finished? What does John want us to see and understand that is finished? Well, I think at least five things. Actually, it's four things that are finished with one ultimate implication. So what is finished? First of all, God has finally been glorified. God has finally been glorified. Glory, the revelation of the true character and nature of something. Bits and pieces of God's glory have been seen throughout the gospel, but the supreme revelation of the nature and character of the living God is finally revealed here at the cross. God's essential nature and character is manifest through Jesus hanging on the cross for all the world to see. In the man enthroned on the tree, we see God's glorious, self-sacrificing, self-emptying, self-giving love. For God so loved the world The living God has finally been glorified. It is finished. And this love, this self sacrificing, self emptying, self giving love now drives the universe. Secondly, the great story of God's salvation of the world has reached its critical turning point. It is finished. Salvation has come. This is why in this text, John says four times that the scripture may be fulfilled. The whole story, beginning in the beginning has reached its critical turning point. Back in Genesis after the fall, God promised that somebody was gonna come to to crush the head of the serpent. Somebody's coming, somebody's coming, somebody's coming. And then Abraham is called. And, and, And the promise is that his offspring will be a blessing to all the nations. Jesus is that blessing. And John wants us to see that another plan was happening at Calvary. The religious leaders had their plan. The political leader had his plan. Sin, evil, and death had their plan. But God also had his plan. And God's plan was the plan being fulfilled through and over all the other plans that the scripture may be fulfilled? Thirdly, love's redeeming work is done, the sin of the world has been taken away, it is finished. That which keeps the world from experiencing the blessing that God wants to bring the world has been taken away. That which separates a holy God from unholy people is gone. It's gone. It's finished. Here's the true lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, the true lamb, drinks the cup of judgment that we all deserve to drink because of our sin, but the Lamb of God drinks it all the way to the bottom so that we never have to. Here at the cross, The final and sufficient Passover lamb has been offered. There is no need for any more lambs. There is no need for any more sacrifices. It is finished once and for all. Our separating sin has been taken away. Be a good time to say amen. (laughs) And fourthly, now that it is finished that our sin has been taken away the spirit can come the spirit can be poured out on the whole human race and there came out blood and water as Jesus dies his blood overcomes all the obstacles to the flow of the spirit into human lives the shedding of his blood makes possible the coming of the spirit to live in and with unholy people. The enthroned king can now pour out his life-giving spirit on the world. And of course we see that at Pentecost in Acts 2. It is finished and the spirit can now come As Gary Burge famously says, in John's thought, Jesus is like a precious vial of perfume filled with the fragrant Spirit of God, so that when it is crushed, the fragrance of its contents fills the whole world. The Spirit can now come because it is finished. And now, because it is finished, because the perfect sacrifice has been offered, the ultimate implication is this, the new world that he died to bring into being can now come. It is finished, but it has not ended. Chapter 20 is coming. The whole new world can now come where the King is enthroned and the Holy Spirit is being poured out on all people. And we, we are free in the Spirit to enter this new world. We can now move out of our bondage to sin, evil, and death into a whole new world filled with the Spirit where sin, evil, and death no longer have the last word. Jesus' enthronement means their dethronement. In this new world, life has the last word because it is finished. Do you see all the good news that John wants you to see? At Calvary, there's much more too. (laughs) Everything that needs to be done has been done. Everything that needs to be done for us to be in relationship with the living God has been done. Nothing else needs to be done, it is finished. And one last thing to prepare us for next week, for chapter 20. Because it is finished, Jesus and Jesus' work is done. Jesus, the great I am, can now rest in the grave. I don't know if you caught it, but John actually tells us that it's a garden. Verse 41. Once again, the plight of humanity comes down to a garden. Will this garden remain a graveyard as the first garden did? Or will this one be transformed? Chapter 20 is coming. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite our team back up on stage because appropriately we get to come to the table today. So come, let us, with the soldiers and the women and John, gather around this table, which is set beneath the cross. And with the soldiers and the women and John, and now with Jesus, let us celebrate that it is finished. Let's celebrate that everything that needs to be done for us to be in relationship with the living God is done for all time. At PBCC, all those who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior are invited to participate. So, as the team plays, let's thank Jesus for His sacrifice and prepare our hearts for communion. And now, receive this benediction from the hand of Paul in Romans. As you go, go in the knowledge that it is finished, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor power nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is finished. Amen.